and there we go. All righty. Hello, world. My name is Don, and you're watching Showcase for the week ending Sunday, June the 5th, 2022. Stop the presses. This is our Sunday show, and that means weird headlines and your live chat comments. Thanks so much for joining me tonight. Don't forget to hit that like button and the subscription bell down below. And as always, if you're with me live, please drop a line in the live chat and I might read it off on the air. So let's go ahead and get started with the first item on the docket, which is from the Mirror from the UK. Uh, pet goldfish released into UK waters turning into giant two-foot killing machines. This sounds like something that's like an aborted Simpsons plot line, basically. Like, I don't know if y'all uh, are familiar with like enough Simpsons history to know about Blinky, the three-eyed fish. Is this mutant, um, uh, is this, is this mutant uh, offshoot end result from like all, this, all the runoff and waste that's generated by the Springfield nuclear power plant? They had a three-eyed fish that sort of mutated and found its way into the, um, uh, into the local uh, water um, sea life population. They actually gave that fish a cameo in Futurama in the pilot episode, if I remember right. This sounds like an, an advanced mutation of that, but actually making its way into real uh, headlines, that's a little bit disturbing just on its face. Let's see, this was first published May 26. It's a little bit ago, but it's still weird. Uh, let's see, pet goldfish released into the wild are wreaking havoc on native species, according to new research. Once out of the aquarium tank and let loose in open waters, they can turn into fat two foot long giants. They gorge on insects and tadpoles, outcompeting rivals and threatening biodiversity. Yeah, I imagine so. Taking the humane option by attempting to save the family favorite may lead to catastrophic consequences for the planet. Wow, I, I, <laughs> I never heard of anything remotely like this before in the real world. This again, still strikes me as something that you would see in a cartoon or, or a movie basically. Uh, like these are, we're talking goldfish here. We're talking straight up like, you know, keep them in a bowl when you're a little kid, you know, flush them down the, or your parent flushes them down the toilet after they die. And then you come home from school and your parent gives you this, you know, white lie about they sort of, they, they had to leave and I don't know, take a job upstate. I don't know, whatever, whatever. Kind of like messed up sort of parent logic at that point from the child's perspective is used to justify the goldfish isn't there anymore. I mean, this is what, that's what gets associated with this. Not over mutating into, I don't know, um, there's a movie, Eight-Legged Freaks, that dealt with this in, in a similar capacity about how you have radioactive waste that, um, uh, that overinflates the size of these arachnids into like this gigantic horror movie sort of scenario. It was actually a really good movie. Um, but then I was like 13 when, at the time when that movie came out. So I may be using a 13-year-old sensibility when I say that. But anyway, I thought it was good. So lead author, Dr. James Dickey of Queens University Belfast said, quote, our research suggests goldfish pose a triple threat. Not only are they readily available, but they combine insatiable appetites with bold behavior, while Northern European climates are often a barrier to non-native species surviving in the wild, goldfish are known to be tolerant to such conditions. I've never owned a fish. I've had dogs, I've had cats in, in my life. I've had, I currently have a dog. And I've also had rabbits. At one point during my teen years, I had two rabbits, in fact. I've never had a fish. And I've never heard of goldfish being such insatiable eaters. Um, that's, that's interesting. Um, let me see. The quote goes on, quote, they could pose a real threat to native biodiversity in rivers and lakes, eating up resources that other species depend on, end quote. Oh, man. Yeah, this is, this is messed up. 
this is really messed up. Let me see here. I'm trying to find one more piece of interesting information here before moving on. Uh, where is this? Nope. Uh, we have this and all the other topics tonight, as usual, listed in the description down below if you want to do further reading at this time. But um, okay, here's something in the very last section here. Ecological destruction caused by aquarium pets is a growing phenomenon. Carnivorous, carnivorous lionfish native to the Indo-Pacific were released by Florida pet owners after Hurricane Andrew in 1992. They killed off dozens of Caribbean species, allowing seaweed to overtake the reefs. Goldfish have received less attention than other invasive species. Yeah, this is definitely a public service announcement. Um, you know, make sure that these, these things are being um, disposed of a little bit more responsibly than, uh, than just by, you know, putting them into the sewers. And then like that kind of like lets out into um, uh, lakes and rivers and stuff like that, especially if you're in a city sort of environment where you don't have a self-contained sort of well water kind of situation basically. And it does sort of let out into the larger, um, into the larger ecosystem. This is something that I never saw coming and definitely is, um, is some food for thought. Definitely pass this link along for more information if you uh, if you at, who are watching or listening, perhaps if you know anybody who has a pet goldfish or something, or, you know, has a kid with a pet goldfish or something, you know, make sure they're fully aware of that risk um, to the environment. We have a few people watching live on YouTube. Thanks so much for tuning in, as well as on Instagram. We're live over there right now, also on at Weekend Showcase. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to smash that like button and uh, drop a comment. I might read off it, uh, read off it, read it off on the air <laughs> as we go along. Let's, uh, let's move on to the next topic. This is from The Hill. California court says some bees are fish. Yeah, I'm gonna have to read that again. Hold on a second. California court says some bees are fish. Okay, um, let me just stop there for a quick second. I, there, there's, we, we've got it. We, we live in a really culturally and politically messed up time right now. We don't cover like politics and that sort of stuff on this show. So I won't go into that any further, but I will say, even for California, I'm shocked at this. Even for California, this is, hang on a second. This is, a, this is an appeals court. This is an appeals court. So that means there's been a prior court case that reached a verdict that one party didn't like to the degree that they thought it would be good to appeal it to a second court. This issue has not, this issue has been presented to a California court before, is what I'm getting out of this very first sentence. What in the heck? What in the heck? Uh, hey, Brainspaz, good to see you. Thanks for commenting. Um, yeah, fish bees. Apparently, that's a thing. That is a thing now. Uh, here we go. So like I was saying, a California, this is posted by thehill.com. Again, the link is in the description down below. A California appeals court has ruled that four species of bees, four species of bees are now legally considered fish. The issue was whether the bumblebee, a terrestrial invertebrate, falls within the definition of fish, a division in the list of endangered species and threatened species in the California Endangered Species Act. The act identifies the protected species in separate divisions as bird, mammal, fish, amphibian, reptile, or plant. Okay. Um, I, I, we, haven't, we haven't gotten to the... The, the, the confusion part yet. It all started in a 2019 lawsuit between large agricultural groups in the state, such as almond and citrus growers, and the California Fish and Game Commission. The lawsuit specifically set out to determine whether the commission exceeded its authority when it designated four bumblebee species as endangered species. 
the crotch bumblebee, insert joke here, the Franklin bumblebee, the suckly cuckoo bumblebee, what, who names these things? The, then the Western bumblebee, calling them invertebrates, therefore falling under CISA's definition of fish. You're telling me that a bee called crotch is technically a fish? I don't think I need to try very hard to make this hilarious and unbelievable. This, this particular topic, this might be the apex of like how weird this could get tonight. We have several other stories on the docket tonight, but I did not see this one coming at all. In years past, fish were defined as wild fish, mollusks, or crustaceans, including any part, spawn, or ova thereof. But in 2015, the legislature modified the definition to read, quote, fish means a wild fish, mollusk, crustacean, invertebrate, amphibian, or part, spawn, or ovum of any of those animals, end quote. Uh, all right. In the ruling, the courts gave the commission the legal authority to list invertebrate species as endangered, even if they are not aquatic animals. The ruling stated, quote, we next consider whether the commission's authority is limited to listing only aquatic invertebrates. We conclude the answer is no. Although the term fish is colloquially and commonly understood to refer to aquatic species, the term of art employed by the legislature in the definition of fish in section 45 is not so limited. This is boring. Okay, basically this is a bunch of like boring legalese kind of that's sidestepping the, the fact that the, the, this, the, the, the court system, the California legal system, I guess, and the enforceability of this Endangered uh, Species Protection Act, um, it's being sort of amended in a way as to, through some sort of, almost like a grammar loophole, almost, just sort of loosely consider these specific species of bee invertebrates. That's what, that's what they're talking about here. The first sentence in that last paragraph I read off, the, the, they were considering whether the commission's authority is limited to listing only aquatic invertebrates and they wound up concluding the answer is no, they're not limiting themselves to, um, to water-based animals, so, or invertebrates, excuse me. So where does that even come from though? Like, where is the just, did they just basically feel like it? Like, you know what, this seems like a good day to completely upend America's understanding of the, of the insect system and, and, uh, and different species of bee, most of which the average person would not ever have guessed even existed in the first place. You know what I feel like doing today? Let's call them all fish. Just on a whim, just cause, you know. Yeah, let's just take these four species in particular. Yeah, they're invertebrates, right? Yeah, let's let's make them all fish. And uh, all right, that's that's good. Let's do lunch. Wanna do lunch? Let's do lunch. That's exactly what happened. I think that's exactly what happened here. There's there's no real <laughs> like there's no real information about why the modification to the legislature was put into place there. I, I don't like how vague that story was being at the end there. There's not enough information to work with. But like I said earlier, this and all the other topics that we're talking about tonight are listed in the description below. So feel free to check that resource and do some further Googling from there if you're genuinely curious about just how far down the rabbit hole goes on that particular topic. We got to move on though. Let's move on. Uh, this is another topic. Uh, this is from UPI. Man prevented from graduating over a $4.80 fee receives diploma 60 years later. Wait a minute. This guy was prevented from graduating over a literal pocket change, almost literal pocket change. And it took 60 years, six decades to get your high school diploma, high school diploma. This isn't even college. This is a straight up high school. All right, let's, let's take a look. 
This is posted May 31, about six days ago. So a 78-year-old California, again, here we go. A 78-year-old California man walked across the stage alongside his high school's class of 2022 to accept a diploma that spent 60 years locked away in a filing cabinet. Again, 60, six, zero years. Ted Sams, 78, says he was prevented from graduating in 1962 because he was suspended five days before the end of the semester and missed a final exam. Sam said he made up the exam over the summer, but was told he wouldn't be given his diploma until he paid $4.80 for a book he failed to return. Oh my goodness. Um, wow. So he told uh, the uh, KABC TV, I guess that's the ABC affiliate in that part of, uh, in that part of California. Quote, over the years, I complained to my kids a number of times about how $4.80 kept me from having my diploma, end quote. Yeah, I bet you did. Um, that's pretty much where the story kind of ends uh, at this, after this. Sam's old school, San Gabriel High School, invited him to finally accept his diploma at the class of 2022 graduation ceremony. Sam's was presented with his original diploma, which had spent the previous 60 years locked away in a filing cabinet at the school. Okay, so this is just being petty. This is pettiness. Like, I, it doesn't say why he was suspended. Um, yeah, it doesn't say why he was suspended or like, good grief. Like, really? You didn't, y'all you, had to like, just begrudge this guy his whole life. What must this guy's life, how, how different must his life, could his life have been, excuse me, how different could his life have been had he like, had his high school diploma in 62 in the first place? Like you're telling me over, initially it was, it was over like being suspended, but then an overdue book is what did it in and what he just never got around to paying it back or something. It was clearly on his mind, but like, what was, what was preventing him from like, did he not, did he not know until like way later? And I guess he kind of like gave up on following through with that. Or I guess like, what does, were they like doing spring cleaning in the administrative area of the high school? And they just basically dusted off the cobwebs on this thing. Like, oh, wow. What is what is this? Who's this Sam's guy? This isn't the current student, right? 1962. Holy crap. Uh, do we have like call this guy like yellow pages? What do you mean? What are yellow pages? <laughs> like that's basically what what happened, I think, probably recently there. Um, anyway, let's let's move on to this. Glad he got this piece of closure from there. But uh, holy crap, like I can't imagine going literally your entire life without this piece of without this very fundamental societally fundamental piece of personal closure like it took me a while to uh to like to get around to going back and finishing my college degree but i finally did it did not take 60 years <laughs> holy crap um that's and that's at a college level this is high school but uh hey man got closure good form uh let's move on uh next item on the docket here is uh thanks so much for tuning in wow we have viewers and likes tonight thanks so much don't forget to keep dropping those comments like uh desert kingdom hey what's up uh good to see you again let's see next uh next item on the docket here is from techexplore.com here's something artificial skin gives robots a sense of touch okay we tend to take our sense of touch for granted in everyday settings, but it is vital for our ability to interact with our surroundings. Uh, this is kind of useless premise. Here we go. A new artificial skin developed at Caltech can now give robots the ability to sense temperature, pressure, and even toxic chemicals through a simple touch. That's fascinating. This new skin technology is part of a robotic platform that integrates the artificial skin with a robotic arm 
and sensors that attach to human skin. A machine learning system that interfaces the two allows the human user to control the robot with their own movements while receiving feedback through their own skin. Oh, it's haptic feedback. The multimodal robotic sensing platform dubbed MBOT was developed in the lab of Wei Gao, Caltech's assistant professor of medical engineering, investigator with Heritage Medical Research Institute. And da, da, da. okay, it aims to give humans more precise control over robots while also protecting the humans from potential hazards. This is fascinating. I'm, I'm glad that we have this. This is, yeah, this, that's exactly what I thought it basically would look like here with this picture here. So you have, um, you have a, like a, you have a, a, a standalone prosthetic hand or like forearm kind of situation robotically controlled. And there are like sensors in the, in the guy's arm that are designed in such a way that it takes the nerve movements that you would, that you would need in order to like move your hand or fingers or whatever. And it translates those, those sensors, what the sensors are picking up in his arm and it's translating over into movements for this robotic device that's right next to him. This is very Iron Man 3 that's happening here where like you have subdermally implanted sort of um, sensors or like, um, or topically placed. I can't really make out what's happening here with this image here. If you look really closely, you can see on, on his forearm, in the center of his forearm, there are these two dark colored uh, rectangles sort of thing. There may be a third one, his sleeve is partially obscuring, but there are sensors that are visible outwardly visible on his forearm. And it looks like they're, um, it looks like that's what's basically being used to provide the, to provide the, the information, the movement information for the, for the robot and some sense of haptic feedback or whatever, like from however it's being moved, I guess. Um, I'm just basically sort of spitballing here based on what I've read here and based on what the picture is conveying. Uh, let me see here. A side-by-side -side comparison of a human hand and a robotic hand reveals glaring differences. Da, da, da. That's pretty much common sense. Um, let's see. Embedded within that hydrogel. What hydrogel? Wait a second. We skipped over something. I'm sorry. Hang on. Where is it? Where is it? Nope. Stop. <laughs> Freaking YouTube. Come on. <laughs> um, uh, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? I guess the artificial skin is kind of is what that's. I guess that's what that's called. The uh, hydrogel. That must be the artificial skin. They didn't really introduce the name of it, or maybe I just glossed over it too many times and it didn't, it didn't catch it quite right. But embedded within that hydrogel, this is back into the story here, are the sensors that give the artificial skin its ability to detect the world around it. These sensors are literally printed onto the skin in the same way that an inkjet printer, inkjet printer applies text to a sheet of paper. Fascinating. Huh. Um, after printing a scaffolding of silver nanoparticle wires, the researchers can then print layers of micrometer scale sensors. Wow, that's tiny. That can be designed to detect a variety of things. The fact that the sensors are printed makes it quicker and easier for the lab to design and try out new kinds of sensors. Yeah, but like, how do you, hmm. How do you sort of, how do you handle the problem of like making sure that when you, making sure that removal and reapplication is done like effectively and efficiently without sort of burning through too many too many materials. Hmm. Yeah. So this is a patch that's applied topically, uh, and it's it's specially printed and it's applied. Yeah. This part of the system makes use of additional printed parts. Uh, so it's electrodes fastened to the human operator's forearm. Electrodes are similar to those that are used to measure brain waves. Position to sense the electrical signals generated by the operator's muscles as they move their hand and wrist. Yeah, this is fascinating. So this actually, this this actually gives me like 
new uh, hope for some rather groundbreaking applications in the field of like prosthesis. If you've like, um, if you're dealing with somebody, a, a patient who's, you know, lost a limb or something basically, or I, I guess in this case, we're talking about arms, that sort of thing. I mean, how do you sort of, how do you accurately, how do you more accurately translate the user or the patient's intended movements and, and gestures into something that a robotic prosthesis can more efficiently and effectively emulate. Um, that's, that, that's always sort of fascinated me about this kind of technology. And it, it's, it's really interesting to see all the strides that we're able to make here, especially when you, when you put it in that context of like helping, you know, amputee patients. But then also, as the story was talking about, there are applications above and beyond that, like disposing hazardous chemicals. The story was mentioning at the top, toxic chemicals going into areas that a human, you know, a human hand or human skin, human tissue can't come into contact with safely. You know, this is this is really good news. I like this story. Uh, let's move on. Let's see, I think we have a couple more and then we're good. Yeah, we have a few more. All right, this is from The Sun. Elon Musk says, fake humanoid Tesla bot could be ready for reveal this year. Oh dear. Oh dear, here come the Terminators. Here we go. Oh boy, oh boy. Oh boy. Okay. So billionaire Elon Musk says he was moving Tesla's AI day from August to September in the hopes of presenting his Optimus bot. Yeah, this guy watches way too many cartoons um, and like movies and such. Tesla AI day pushed to September 30th. Yeah, he, that's his tweet. Hang on. Uh, Optimus is an unreleased product being developed with the intention of serving as a general purpose robot that can do everyday tasks, such as going grocery shopping at the supermarket. Okay. So Best case scenario, you have a special um, Alexa kind of helper that actually um, that, that can actually follow you around outside of the house and be useful in your real life um, above and beyond what you could do with an app with the with the app for for Alexa. But the trade off for that is if these puppies go rogue, I mean. At least we know Will Smith has a lot of experience slapping the sense in, into things, um, or at least in principle, um, like checking these robots. But, it, and yeah, all right, that was kind of like bringing up the Oscars thing, but, oh man. And I don't mean to like go into that whole thing again, that whole incident's been dissected to death. That's not relevant to this anyway, but it's just, uh, man. Oh, here's a topic, um, or sorry, a comment. This is from Brain Spaz. Fake skin, great for people who need artificial arms or legs, scary for making AI robots more like people. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. That's exactly right. Um, it, it, it's, this is just one of those things that, this is just one of those things that you got to chalk up as like, it's a good idea in principle, but it's just like the, the risk far outweighs the reward. It just does. Even if you ex excuse and remove the, the the film references side of it, there's just there's just no way to really accurately, you know, know for sure that this technology is safe and it's not going to get out of hand. Especially if you're building something that's designed to be fueled by an internet-connected artificial intelligence. How many examples must we be presented with, albeit in a fictional context, of cautionary tales of this sort of thing going horribly, horribly wrong? It's it's. It, it, it honestly disturbs me that we're still getting technology advancements like this, where we're literally engineering AI into stuff like this that's designed to sort of replace 
humans, you know, it's to this degree. It's one thing when you're sort of like augmenting or a, a human being to a degree that it replaces something that's lost or that never was there in the first place, like birth defect or some other sort of medical thing. But like you're creating a synthetic person. You're creating artificial life. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding yourselves? Uh, <laughs> Elon Musk has revealed that the Tesla bot is intended to be friendly in quotations. Yeah, I'll bet it is. I'll bet it is. It will stand at five feet inches tall and weigh in at a realistic 125 pounds. Optimus, I'm still creeped out by that name. Optimus will come equipped with several cameras, sensors, and self-piloting software, artificial intelligence. The friendly bot will also be able to carry up to 45 pounds and travel at speeds up to five miles an hour. All right, so that's a brisk speed walk, five miles an hour. Um, no, I'm gonna swipe left on this whole entire story. Uh, no, just, just no to that whole thing. Um, there's two more topics here, and then we gotta shut this down. Coming up to the top of the hour right now. This is from the sun. AI spotted inventing itself. Again, we're back to artificial intelligence. This is a creepy list of topics this time. AI spotted inventing its own creepy language and it's baffling researchers. Yep, here we go. Here we go, everybody. This is Skynet trying to happen right now. An artificial intelligence program has developed its own language and no one can understand it. Oh, goodness. Uh, let's see. Get to the topic. Thank you. DALI E2 is OpenAI's latest AI system. It can generate realistic or artistic images from user-entered text descriptions. <laughs> DALI E2 represents a milestone in machine learning. OpenAI's site says the program learned the relationship between images and the text used to describe them. Demonstration includes interactive keywords for visiting users to play with and generate images. Toggling different keywords result in different images, styles, and subjects. But the system has one strange behavior. It's writing its own language of random arrangements of letters and researchers don't know why. Uh, um, okay. Janice Daras, a computer science PhD student at University of Texas published a Twitter thread detailing Dali E2's unexplained new language. Uh, Daras told it to create an image of farmers talking about vegetables and the program did so, but the farmer's speech read Vicoots. V-I-C-O-O-T-E-S, some unknown AI word is how the story describes this particular term. Daras fed the word back into the system and got back pictures of vegetables. We then fed the words, Apoplo Vesrita, oh my goodness, this looks like somebody's, this looks like somebody's cat was walking across the, the keyboard of a computer and this, these are just the terms that came out. Apoplo, I can't even pronounce this, Apoplo, that. <laughs> oh, goodness. We then fed randomly, seemingly random gibberish, and we get birds. Okay, whatever. It seems the farmers are talking about birds messing with their vegetables. Wow, this is being called hidden vocabulary. They acknowledge that telling Dali E2 to generate images of words, the command, an image of the word airplane, is Darius's example normally results in Dali E2 spitting out gibberish text. When plugged back into Dali E2, that gibberish text will result in images of airplanes, which says something about the way Dali E2 talks to and thinks of itself. Okay, so we're talking about an artificial intelligence program here that essentially is creating terminology. It knows what it's being what's being requested of it. It's smart enough to know what it's being asked for, but it's sort of feeding back 
how it interprets the command in its own language to the degree that when the researchers feed that statement back into it, then it gets what was originally asked for in the first place. This is, I mean, I guess that's, I guess that's uh, progress of a sort as far as generating an artificial intelligence that understands what's being fed into it. I guess that's a positive, but let's not bury the lead here. We have a working artificial intelligence that is able to communicate things in ways that are above and beyond what humans can naturally do, uh, which scares me. That actually scares me. Um, that actually, that perturbs me on multiple levels, not just as a human being, but as a computer science professional. My, my undergraduate degree was in computer science and just everything I know about computer science, everything we all know about how computers process information and how we as humans interact with, te with technology uh, stands to be completely and permanently upended depending on how far down this rabbit hole trajectory uh, artificial intelligence programs like this are able to get where they're able to like internalize information in ways that human beings can't make sense of, which then opens the floodgates to artificial intelligences communicating with each other in ways that we can't make sense of. This is really getting dangerously close to the point where artificial intelligence in general hits like a singularity point where it's beyond human's ability to regulate or control or, or even build. Because at that point, you may as well just leave them sort of like creating themselves, like sort of building copies of itself, like Ultron all over the place, basically. And we don't have control over it anymore. We're creating, it's Westworld. We're creating a fundamentally new form of life on earth and just letting it loose basically, because that's the next step after this. I, I'm, I'm really, between this and the, and the Tesla story, uh, the Tesla robot story from a moment ago, that is really freaking me out. Let me, let, let's try and, yeah, creepy robot language is right, Desert Kingdom. That is, that, that's, that's, I can't, I can't with that anymore. Let's, let's move on to the next topic. This is our last one for the night. Um, this is from the mirror. Uh, families missing tortoise found in the attic after 30 years and it's still alive. How do you, okay, hold on. Uh, brother. Mirror.com.uk, this is from the mirror and it's taking a bit of a moment to load. Here we are. Okay, uh, a tortoise who went missing in 1982 was found 30 years later, alive and well in the family's attic. And while it belonged to Natalie, Natalie de Almeida's mother in the early 80s, according to Daily Star, Natalie had heard about the mysterious creature but was told he had disappeared when his mom was eight. The family thought the pet had vanished during electrical work taking place on the house. Yet three decades later, after the woman's husband had died, the family went to the house to sort out his possessions. And while sorting through the attic, they were shocked by what they found in a box with an old wooden speaker inside. That's the turtle, it looks like. Um, let's see. Wow. Despite all the odds, the animal had managed to find a way to survive more than three decades locked inside a storage box. It was thought that she had managed to survive from eating termite larvae, which were also found in the room. However, nearly 10 years later in an update on the story, it turns out that Manuela is still alive, but is now called Manuel, as it turned out during, routine, <laughs> during a routine veterinary checkup this year that the plucky tortoise is actually male. <laughs> oh my goodness. 
Um, wow. I, I, I don't, I don't have, um, I don't have a very politi- politically correct punchline for that. Um, that can basically just sort of sit right there, I think, as it, as it is. You know, Manuela is now Manuel um, upon closer inspection. That's basically all we can say to that. Um, cool. Uh, nice, nice job, Taurus. Uh, live your truth, I guess. I don't know. Um, let's see. A tortoise can live up to 255 years old and can survive for about three years without food and water. Wow. Hmm. Interesting. So yeah, that definitely, man. <laughs> uh, this goes above and beyond, what, what was his name? Crush, I think, the sea turtle from Finding Nemo. If I remember right, he was 150 years old in that movie. And now this story is basically saying the apex of a tortoise's lifespan is about 255 years. So, wow, that's way above and beyond that threshold, obviously. Wow, that's crazy. Well, glad that turtle managed, tortoise managed to survive all of that uh, claustrophobia, that dark, crazy claustrophobia. Look at this, look at this picture here. You can see like what this, what this animal was like trapped among. Can you imagine being in, being stuck in this environment, like in near total darkness for 30 years, for 30 years? Wow, like mind blown right there, easily. Holy crap. All right. Um, anyway, that's basically about it. I think this basically is the last topic that we had for tonight. Yep, that is the last one. All right. So let's go ahead and wrap this up here. Um, oh, shoot. Hang on one second. Ah, darn it. This darn thing. I have to set a thing on my camera here really quickly. There we are. Anyway, so as I was saying, that is a wrap for this week's headlines. Um, what were your favorites? tonight like i basically i'm trying to remember we had a lot of different crazy ones tonight um probably i'm trying to think here probably the some bees or fish thing uh was interesting but you know what i'll give it to the artificial skin story i think that's going to be my favorite one tonight again i'm a little bit biased with the computer science stuff uh that are that are in my background there when i say that but this the artificial skin one I'm going to say was was my favorite topic for the night because it's like it's technological advancement that doesn't throw humanity's existence in the future in the very near future into terrifying amounts of question but um but it's but it's but it's positive and the applications are, are clear and controllable so that's that's positive I'm gonna I'm gonna make that my favorite one for the night what was yours um go ahead and whoops sorry ah darn it ah this stupid thing I'm working on this uh, little teleprompter in front of me. <laughs> anyway, what about you? Drop a comment down below to continue the conversation. And please feel free to visit any of our social pages. We are listed at Weekend Showcase pretty much everywhere. And we will see you again right here this coming Friday at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 5.30 Pacific for another new trailer reactions show. I hope to see you then. For now, everyone, please be safe and hope you had a good weekend. Showcase you later. Good night. Mm-mm.